Iskander is the artistic director of Battersea Arts Centre in London. Born in Sunderland to parents born in Egypt, Tarek moved to the Middle East when he was five and returned to the UK at 17, escaping from the Gulf War in Kuwait. He studied engineering before beginning a management career in the NHS that lasted more than a decade. In the following chapters of his journey, he was the Interim Director for Theatre at Arts Council England, one of the founders and Associate Artistic Director of the Yard Theatre in Hackney, and also Resident Director at the National Theatre Studio. Since 2018, Tarek has been the Artistic Director and CEO of Battersea Arts Centre, a venue which is a home for radical artistic ideas stemming from a belief in the power of performance and collective imagination to spark positive change. Tarek, we are talking in late September 2022 in what is sometimes rather weirdly called a post-pandemic era, we'll see. And it's certainly an unstable and sometimes scary time and yeah, God knows what's around the corner. So life isn't easy for anyone in the arts at the moment um, or anyone, anywhere in fact. But I wanted to ask you, what, what do you see as the purpose of Battersea Arts Centre in these strange and difficult times? Yeah, great question. I mean, I think in a nutshell, I think what we all try to do is simply be useful at this particular moment. And I think that sort of, I think underneath that is a sense of responsiveness that, as you say, things are changing really fast and that we can only be useful if we adapt to what we do. I think I think it's also just deep down uh, something that I think we all share, which is like a really strong belief that arts and culture and what, you know, organisations like BAC do can make things better for people, that they really do matter and impact. Um, and so you kind of have to double down and try to make sure that you are doing what you do. I think the mistake, though, is sometimes, hey, this is what we're good at. This is what we can offer and reaching out to the world. Really, in moments like this, it's really about listening and responding. Mm. OK, lovely. We'll talk more about that in a bit. Um, so you yourself are known for having a pragmatic approach to innovation which is a combination of words I find genuinely thrilling. Uh, there's nothing like sort of an actual idea uh, for concrete change to get the blood racing. So I wanted to talk to you about some of the ideas you have talked about in the past or that you're busy with now. So first of all, with regard to funders, many of whom, though not all of course, are beholden to the latest whims of our joyous government. So the wriggle room can sometimes feel quite small. Um, but I believe things are possible, uh, aren't they? What kind of change and disruption uh, do you want to see from the various funders at the moment? I mean, the first thing is that I think just again to state the obvious, what funders do has an enormous impact on the world for all of us. I think, you know, I think we all know that instinctively, but actually having worked on both sides of this mm. equation, um, it really, really does matter. I guess what we need from our funders, what we had a bit of at the beginning of this pandemic, which is boldness, which is kind of ability to kind of change tack, to maybe rewrite the rules. Um, actually, yesterday I was going through some of BAC's work and I was thinking the, the amount, the number of funders we have to liaise with in order just to keep um, the lights on and things operating is astonishing. Um, so I, I was actually saying the other day, one thing we are all encouraged to do as, as artists and venues is collaborate. It'd be great to see our, our funders collaborate a hell of a lot more than they do currently. So establishing who is focusing on what mm. so that, you know, our, our conversations and approaches can be more targeted, looking at regional funding in a way that's sort of um, more more focused and how it approaches. So I think funding is ticking along, but is is 
for, due for a massive overhaul. And that's setting aside all the issues about how much money there is in total mm -hmm. and all the rest of it, which is obviously the core of a lot of this. Mm. Do you see that overhaul coming? I don't, I don't see it coming imminently, but it could do. I, I guess it sort of depends how bad things get. I think obviously the pandemic was the opportunity for that and there were big moves. And obviously the big funders do all talk to each other and coordinate. But as always, I think it, I think what's missing in the arts always that this is my hobby horse is people working together. We talk about collaboration, but actually when it come, push comes to shove, real collaboration en masse is something we're not brilliant at. And I think it will take venues, artists, individuals, companies getting together and also being clear about what we want our funders to do. Um, and that requires us to, to worry less about the competition we're all in for the next funding part and actually thinking strategically what's going to be best for everyone. Mm. So I think it could happen. I think it would take maybe some changes in leadership and key points to to really make that happen. But I guess we, we keep fighting regardless of whether it's in vain or not. Yeah, of course, there's hope. And so do you mean that certain organisations say, OK, right, well, we'll take this and you take that. And so people know, first of all, not to waste time on applications that are, they're not likely to be successful with. Um, and that, yeah, you can develop more long term relationships and um, perhaps get more regular funding because you know you're in the right place with the right people, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's as simple as that. I mean, if we knew that these are the funders focused on capital for these projects or these are the funders are really interested in co-creation or digital technologies at the moment, a lot of funders are doing a lot of different things. And and again, just to be fair to the funders, I worked at the Arts Council, they do, people do an amazing job in very difficult contexts, as you described, politically as well mm -hmm. as kind of economically so it's it's not us it's not putting shade on any of those organizations of people but it does need an overhaul and as you say we all need to be clear who we can talk to and as you say build those longer term conversations and the processes just have to be much 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 simpler than they are now yeah okay yeah i agree we're just coming up to the announcement about the npos aren't we and um frankly you know who would want to be the, the arts council right now they have my greatest sympathy uh it's obviously a really tough process um but yeah i hear you and you've also talked about yeah making funding um processes simpler but you've also talked about um them demanding a five to ten percent commitment to inclusion access uh environmental um strategies can you say a bit more about that I mean, this is maybe a hangover, a personal hangover from my time working in the NHS, where mm. it was kind of we used to negotiate contracts every year, and there were very, big, very big negotiations over much bigger sums of money. And and the, it really struck me that if if in the negotiation and those more more negotiate more like negotiations than they are in the arts, you you mm. focused on two or three things that were incentivized really well, um, like for example diversity and so on. The the impact on the, the people doing the work is enormous because it really focuses the mind on things. Now, obviously, you have to be really careful in how those things are agreed because you don't want to create distortionary effects that have negative impacts on what you're doing. But it can be really motivating. It can be seen as a positive. It's really exciting to say, OK, this is what we're all going to aim for together and this is what we're going to achieve. I think there's a, a muddiness at the moment about what we are trying to work towards, maybe a nervousness about quantifying anything we do in the arts, which kind of makes some of that progress really tricky. Uh, and also, it's never clear what the what the sanction is, I suppose, to be blunt right. about it, for not achieving that, you know. And in the NHS, it's a lot clearer. If we didn't hit our two-week weight cancer target, we wouldn't get paid for the work that we were doing. And, you know, I think we're all, we were all on the same side, regardless. Yeah. Is that not what they're trying to do with the, oh, I've forgotten how many, 107 areas of um, for, 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 for people to focus on? Is that the sort of thing you mean? Because that's quite... Uh, quantified and quite clear. 
I'm not sure I know exactly the bits you're talking about, but I mean, just for the sounds of it, 107 sounds a hell of a lot. <laughs> it's something like that, yeah. You know, areas that have been neglected, basically, by, by sure. arts funding. Um, it's a controversial policy, I think, but, you know, there's there's some logic behind it, so long as there's authenticity behind the, the moves, I suppose. Yeah, so you mean the priority places? Yeah, thank you, yeah. On. Yeah, I, do you know, I, I instinctively, I think that, that is actually a good thing to sort of say that, again, based on some sort of assessment of which areas have the most need, we are going to put more resources into those. I mean, I think instinctively, I think that's that's a good thing. I think that the problem is the, the pace, mm. but also the way that the challenge has been framed. It's, it's been framed in order to do this, we're going to have to take away a lot from other people. So it's been sort of packaged in a quite confrontational way. Again, we used to do similar things in, in industries that worked before, but usually you try to incentivize positively rather than sort of incentivize negatively mm. to get everyone on board. So I've got questions about how it's implemented. Yeah, right. So, and it has been done rather quickly and it, that is encouraging a kind of fakery and maybe some short-term decision-making and, uh, you know, and a lot of pressure for people to move <laughs> and, and, and change the way things are doing, which aren't necessarily for the best. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. Exactly. It shows yeah. the power of incentives, though. This what I mean is that what funders do really impacts everything across the board. So we, we need to work really closely with our brilliant funders to make sure we're not creating, as I said, these weird incentives that are not exactly what we want for the outcome. But incentives in themselves can be a good thing. I think so. Yeah, interesting. Okay. We all like rewards instinctively. I mean, I think, you know, I don't think we should shy away from some of that. Yeah. And, and in order to create change, I guess they do have to sculpt a bit you know and, and try to encourage and yeah uh, force change i suppose okay uh, and what about for venues then obviously you run one and as you've said you advocate for much greater collaboration between venues and organizations instead of perhaps the isolationism and kind of competitiveness we have sometimes seen um what's happening there with venues and what would you like to see I mean, I think the I think the pandemic was actually really good in terms of collaboration, connection. I think a lot of the communication and contacts between venues, but also between venues and companies and artists and so on, has been a lot stronger than it was a few years ago. I think. Um, again, being really, but I think it's been quite. I think actually a lot of exciting thinking and stuff has happened within companies and venues at the moment, and I'm seeing lots of great initiatives looking at you know not just us, but people looking at different pricing models and how they're working people really thinking about how they're working with freelancers in different ways, really addressing long-term issues around, you know, um, discrimination and kind of racial inequalities and so on within the system. I do think there's a lot of great stuff happening. And so I feel quite optimistic sometimes. Mm. Um, obviously, we all get frustrated with the pace of change and a lot of these things. Um, but I will say, just as someone who works in a venue, it has been incredibly challenging. Obviously, the pandemic and the financial challenges have been absolutely enormous. Mm. And it does feel like we got through the last few months really starting to think, okay, we've learned a lot. Now we can be really bold. And, um, you know, we just keep getting hit by other economic challenges that we're, none of us are immune to. So mm. uh, I do have a bit of sympathy for both ourselves and our colleagues that it's been extremely rough. What What challenges specifically are you talking about right now? Um, I think a lot of them are financial in the terms of, I mean, organizations like BAC, we really, we, uh, more than 50% of our income comes from private enterprises that we run, events, hires, and so on, which mm. pays for the art that we do. And that's definitely been hit by the general economy. Mm. Inflation is obviously rampant. Um, most of us with buildings dealing with huge energy costs and sort of changes. Um, wage inflation is obviously going up, not only for staff, but you're trying to keep pace to really support your artists and companies with much bigger um you know 
salaries in order to kind of support them. But at the same time, you've got a finite capacity and ability to generate income through ticket sales. So squaring those circles is increasingly difficult. So, I mean, again, we if you're being optimistic, and I think it's a good morning to be optimistic, it will drive all of us to think radically about how we do things. And I think there could be some really good change out of it. But uh, it's it's rough. And I think what's hard is seeing people struggle so badly in the meantime. It, sometimes you kind of go, is it worth it in order to get the change that we need? Mm, got no choice there, eh? <laughs> it's got to be done. Um, so what examples can you give us about collaborations that are taking place? I know, for example, you're involved in the Horizon project. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so Horizon is a partnership with five other organisations. So there's Fabric in the Midlands and then four brilliant festivals, Transform, Gift, Make and Fierce Festival. And we, we were awarded by the Arts Council a large... Um, pop to kind of support artists to take work to Edinburgh Festival, but not with not with just the sort of Edinburgh Festival being the end in itself, but there's been a historic kind of challenge around artists getting, particularly from diverse backgrounds, getting the opportunity to present work in Edinburgh, mm. but really to try to build international partnerships and collaborations. So um, we took 10 fantastic shows up to Edinburgh this year. We did a digital version last year for obvious reasons. Um, we managed to get 50 delegates from 20 countries to come and enjoy the work, to kind of participate and meet the artists and some of those dialogues and conversations are going. So that feels really exciting, partly because I guess we always enjoy bucking the trend and at a moment where international collaboration is so challenging for all sorts of reasons to really be able to support artists, to have those conversations, build those relationships, maybe tour their work is really satisfying. And it's also great to be talking about in the context of the climate emergency and being really thinking very carefully about that and trying to come up with radical solutions. So the end point of this is not to have a show that takes 10 people on a plane, perform two performances. We're trying to think differently about what tour international exchange can mean. And obviously artists themselves are really thinking about this at the top of their mind. So it feels quite exciting to be on the cusp of trying to develop that. So that was a quite that was a really good collaboration. And what's mm -hmm. interesting about that is the scale and the, the the difference between all the organizations quite significant. So BAC is much bigger than most of the other partners, just in terms of um, size, we're a venue and most of the others are festivals, but it's felt very egalitarian. You know, all the decision making is very equal. We've engaged lots of partners and associate artists and lead artists to be part of those decision making processes. So it's felt really good. It felt like everyone's playing to their strengths. So that's something to me that's been an example of a great collaboration. Yeah, brilliant. A little bit how it, how it should be. On that, um, what is the other model then? What are you exploring if it isn't 10 people getting on a plane? Uh, how else can this work and how else can reach um, be achieved? I mean, there are multiple things. I mean, they're very practical things about how work is made and how people travel across, which is obviously part of the equation. We're also looking at how work um, is more about, um, you know, the methodology itself. So it could be one artist taking the methodology of the show that they've generated or the co-created piece of work that they've generated and working with local participants or performers mm -hmm. to make that happen so that the sort of carbon footprint is much less. Mm -hmm. um, look at digital technologies, obviously a way of addressing that, but even in a more practical sense where it's a more traditional model of a tour going, rather than saying we will, we will enable one tour to go to Australia and do one city, how can we create, you know, a tour of 10 venues in 10 places and make that more sustainable in that way. So there's, you know, I think usually it's a combination of methods that we're mm -hmm. trying to look at. I also think there's some really exciting things probably coming down the line that we haven't discovered yet, which would make all this possible. Yeah, surely. Um, great. Um, just also thinking about uh, venues, I know you have um, quite clear ideas about 
board memberships, capping salaries in both directions, or no, not capping, uh, you know, improving salaries for the lower paid and capping them for the <coughs> senior colleagues. Um, and also um, you've talked about having 10 year fixed terms for senior roles so people don't hang around too long. Um, what are your thoughts around all of that? Do you see that happening? And yeah, what, what else would you like to see? You know, I do. I do see that happening. I think I was really encouraged. Let's. I mean, starting with pay. I mean, I've, I was really encouraged. I mean, I, again, I can speak for BAC. In the last two years, when we've done pay rises within our own organisation, the highest paid have usually got zero to a very small percentage, and the, the lowest paid in the organisation get a lot more. So we're trying to close those gaps of inequality, and I think a lot of venues and places are doing the same. There's, as I say, there's a risk that we all need to be mindful of is that as technical roles and other roles become very difficult to recruit obviously those salaries are increasing very rapidly and there's potentially a disconnect between freelancers and freelance pay and some of those pays internally so that's something obviously technical roles meaning sort of production technical stage managers yeah, lighting okay. designer, all those design roles are very difficult and then also hospitality roles like chefs and bar managers and so on again because of the broader economy all, all of us are paying a lot more for those individuals it's always great to pay people more like it's from the grudge but it's, it's maintaining that balance across is quite tricky so i think there have been some good moves across pay i mean i think i still see horror stories from freelancers about jobs that are offered at ridiculous salaries but i think generally things have gotten better in that regard and i think a lot of the conversation that happened in during the pandemic mm. has, has really helped drive that forward so I think pay has got a lot better. I do think actually boards and individuals themselves are self-policing a little bit and not hanging around for 20 years in leadership roles, um, which I think is good. I think that churn is good. Um, I, I mean, I've said this before, I personally think sometimes in our sort of desire to find really egalitarian models, which I really support, we sometimes shy away from leadership as a kind of positive. I think you have to recognize that good leadership does make a difference, but that doesn't necessarily mean people work in particular roles within an organization, you need leadership across an organization in every part of it. Mm. But I think we kind of should celebrate a bit more. I do think our charity commission defined, here's your board, here's your subgroups, here's your CEO, is does feel a bit creaky. And I think it feels creaky across the entire economy, not just in the arts, mm. but I think in the arts, which is so dynamic and so um, fleet-footed or creative, that feels a bit rusty. I think from my perspective, I mean, I, I'm going to open kind of, I suppose, the door to kind of my own thinking. I suppose I started at BAC three years ago and sort of thinking the first three years I really wanted to focus on work with artists and the programme. Second three years were really focusing on our work with communities and the depth of our kind of work around that. And I always thought my last three years, maybe we'll really try to focus on governance and see how we can be really radical around that. That was just the way I framed it in my own head. So, but I'm always on the lookout for really good dynamic governance models. Mm. I find that whenever I have this conversation, people aren't short of offering brilliant models that might work around that. But actually, when you dig into experiences of people running some of these sort of co-leadership or multiple leadership or different find there's actually very few models that have evidence that they've worked extremely well oh. um, and so if anyone's got them I'd love to see them but that is in fact you end up having lots of conversations with cultural organizations particularly in Europe who have really disrupted that model and ended up going back to a sort of more old school hierarchical model because decision making became very slow or definitions of how to progress were really tricky accountability can become a problem so I guess we need to do a bit more thinking. Maybe the green revolution that we're all engaged in will generate something I'm really hopeful, but I guess I guess I haven't got any answers because I'm really looking for them, but I think we do need to do something different. Gosh, that's so interesting. 
And there's something problematic, isn't there, about the uh, unpaidness of being uh, a trustee or on a board um, and how that, you know, immediately speaks to privilege. Um, but there's a conflict there, which I, you know, yeah, I find really interesting. And yes, as you say, people are bringing more and more artists on onto boards, which of course is the right thing to do. Um, but I'm slightly disappointed to hear you say that the models aren't quite working yet. I mean, I, I mean, BAC has an amazing board, <laughs> a great board sure. full of really talented people, and uh, we've got a board meeting this evening. And I actually look forward to our board meetings because I can pick their brains. We have artists, young people, great, yeah, leaders on our group. But somehow. I don't know, the sense that a everything funnels through an individual. I mean, you know, BAC is a team effort. Like, I don't decide everything there, obviously. But as CEO, I carry a strange, massive legal accountability for everything that happens at that building, mm. which doesn't somehow feel right. Mm. But at the same time, talking to uh, a board who, as you say, are unpaid, um, very, and somehow trying to define a strategy for the organization, it just somehow, it mm. doesn't feel very does feel very arts and culture, does it? No, yeah, it's really interesting. There's a there's a body of research and, and a work to be done there, isn't there? Um, so tied into that, actually, um, you, I know, are committed to the, to the concept of co-creation. In fact, you say that uh, BAC are moving away from participatory practice to co-creation and BAC facilitate the co-creation change network. So you're working hard to develop meaningful relationships with your local communities, obviously, but not just in the creation of work, but also in decision making, the allocation of resources and programming. So I guess that's a little bit what you're talking about. Why is that and what are you doing and, and how is all that going? I mean, the why seems to me self-evident that, you know, I think you get better outcomes and better results when people are engaged at the earliest opportunity in, in deciding their own work. And I think also there's an ethical social inequality issue where a lot of people don't get the power to make those decisions or those resources and i think um, it's up to us to set up set up frameworks that do that i mean mm -hmm. at bac we have a, a formal subgroup of the board which is made up of young people local people and an artist and we don't segregate them into different groups you know we don't have like a youth board that sits separately these are our major stakeholders and they help define what we do and how we do it. Mm. And going back to your question about participation, we try not to say, hey, this is a program that we're really excited about. Let's set this up, yeah. come and participate. Though, though again, acknowledging participation is a really great thing. Like I got into theatre through participation in a play. So, you know, I, I'm not denigrating it, but there is something deeper we can do, which is starting and saying, um, I'm going to digress a bit, but say, I guess, I guess a BAC, but we don't believe in art for art's sake anyway. Mm. That's not our thing, that we believe in great art, which we generate and host kind of every day. But there has to be a purpose to what we do and rather decide this is the impact we're trying to have. This is how we're trying to make the world better. Let's come up with something. Having that rich conversation from the outset is really satisfying. It just works better. I mean, it takes longer. It takes a certain number of skills. Um, I'm rambling a bit, but I think, you know, I'm slightly worried that I think co-creation had a lot of momentum behind it a couple of years ago, heading into the pandemic. In post-pandemic, I've seen a lot of kind of our leaders in co-creation. I guess I'm thinking of organizations like Strike Light, like Slung Low, like Commonwealth, all brilliant, are continuing to make fantastic work, but I'm not seeing a huge spread out from those kind of those kind of leading lights. And I slightly worry it's because we're not investing enough in supporting artists in particular to know how to work mm. carefully in these methodologies. Communities are great, always up for it. Um, you can usually engage them well, but you need to have a good infrastructure to support that work. 
as well as funding. I think the funding is there, but there might be a slight skills gap that we need to address. Right, a skills gap. And also, yeah, it's it's a complicated process and, and needs um, uh, a lot of staff, a lot of workers. But but I think the thing I've learned across the years is that it really needs time, as you say. Um, and that is an expensive thing. Um, so, okay. And is that partly what the uh, Co-Creation Change Network is about, is about uh, disseminating those skills? It was a bit of both. So we were disseminating skills, doing the training, but sharing, sharing learning across the country about what people were doing, okay. creating networks where people could connect, and also giving out money. So we had, we were lucky enough, you know, through Paul Hamlin and Arts Council, all the people who were funding us, um, as we were going to give money out to support projects to build that kind of capacity across the country. Um, and I'm hoping, you know, we're in the middle of trying to kind of find new sources of funding to support that work going forward. Okay, so there'll be more money coming out, to, hopefully more money coming out to more people to, to try to keep it going and try to keep it building. Exactly. But I just want to pick you up, Lou, on what you said, which has prompted something in my head is, you know, we say it's all about time, which it really is. I mean, I totally agree. But for me, that's also about how we work with artists as well. Like That's the thing is um co-creation or working or working with communities no different than working with artists is the same challenge it's just that we also don't give artists enough time we've created yeah. a model where people are expected to create incredible pieces of work in two three weeks of preparation which is ridiculous um so maybe we should just get our co-creation methodology sorted and then translate some of that back into the arts rather than always feeling the other way yeah totally i couldn't agree more you know i lived in belgium for many years where maybe it's a little bit different now but they have time <laughs> Um, and sometimes they had too much time. Um, but uh, yeah, I think the the advantages, I mean, it's, it's obvious that the depth of work that can come if you have more time and therefore the, the returns for the audiences, it, it goes without saying really. But you're right, okay, to so develop the model in the co-creation world and then flip it back. Uh, yeah, okay, point taken. Um, also, in terms of what BAC are doing, I know you've worked with the brilliant uh, Jess Tom to go through the Tourette's Heroes method of identifying and dismantling the barriers faced by disabled people and, and BAC is now a relaxed venue. How has that process been and what has changed? I mean, the process has been amazing. I mean, I can't praise Jess and Tourette's Hero team enough. I mean, they came in again with some Arts Council funding to to transform BAC and God did they transform BAC. Wow. I think I think what Jess brought to the organization that's now so embedded was the sense that um, you don't have to do things the way you've always done them and so certain assumptions around how we present work or share work or connect with people um, we can completely upend and are totally unhelpful so I guess the sense that okay we rather than saying okay we want some of our performances to be accessible most people why shouldn't we start the other end and say all our performances by default should be accessible and we have to find reasons to put up barriers not reasons to take down barriers and it's very simple but a, a massive change of mindset which then has very knock-on practical effects so it took years of work to get us to the point where it's certainly over 90 percent most of our seasons it's 100 percent of our performances are relaxed um and that's been an, an enormous change and we've seen that in terms of the numbers of um, disabled audiences and other audiences that are coming, but as well as other audience members who may have felt um, that they have been excluded because of the norms of behavior, how you're meant to behave, you're meant to be totally sit in silence, not respond to anything, you can't come and go, all these things are inaccessible, the way tickets are booked. Um, it's really opened the doors to a lot of different people to be part of our audiences. So just to explain to people, being a relaxed venue means that in our relaxed performances, audiences can tick or stay or make noises as needed they can come and go from the auditorium 
as are required. We have a chill out space. We do our best to make, you know, give information pre-shows so people, you know, have the information they need before they go in, you know, defend it. all sorts of little things that, you know, community make it much more accessible. I do want to say out loud though, it's it's an ongoing process. Mm. There are loads of things. I mean, for example, I don't feel our provision for um, deaf audiences is as it should be across the board, you know, we're sort of looking at different solutions to that and how we might do that. BAC, as many of you know, is a listed old creaky building, which means, you know, our infrastructure sometimes physically is not, uh, I mean, it's, it's fully accessible for wheelchair access, but it's not always conducive to how we'd want it to run. So it's definitely a, a work in progress still. Yeah, but it sounds really exciting and really tangible that the changes that have been made very practical and like I say it's a it's the, the mindset is the big change but the the number of practical things that come out of it or the other thing I'd understand is what I think Jess brought which was really great is she she did you see a lot of change programs where people come in and they come up with solutions and they get shared across organizations Jess and the team made sure they spent time with every staff member every level of the organization so it's full understanding what happened a total team effort and so you know I me or no one else walks around trying to sell the idea to anyone it's just ingrained and yeah. everyone's up with it and people are coming up with their own solutions at different points about how to make it better because it's now embedded in the thinking and is that a, um well obviously it's very specific as you say but is it is it also a model that is being rolled out or ca can be accessed by other organizations other venues they can in fact we had um, you know a couple of organizations from canada who are kind of taken on the kind of relaxed venue methodology so people are picking it up i'm a bit surprised the take-up hasn't been uh faster or more um extended if i'm really honest mm. um i'm not totally sure why we we obviously keep promoting it as far as we can um but yeah, yeah i think it's definitely a replicable model and i think but as i say i think also that just the scale of the change program how well it was managed is also kind of replicable brilliant exciting stuff and uh how are audience numbers for you at the moment does it feel uh precarious or is it burgeoning I, um, I'm always pleased to say our audience numbers are really good. I mean, I think we we're averaging over eighty percent for most of our shows across Brilliant. the board, which I think yeah. in these kind of times is really good. I think part. I mean, I think our program is great. I would obviously think that. I think mm -hmm. we've brought in a mostly universal pay what you can model, which definitely has made a difference as well. Um, so we're not seeing some of the major downturns that other venues are experiencing. Um, I've got some theories, but it is a very mixed picture, isn't it? Some some places are doing very well and some are really struggling at the moment. Well, yeah, I, I hear that anecdotally. Yeah, I don't know about um, the data, but yeah. Um, just say a little bit more about your pay what you can policy. How, how does that um, average out then? How, how does that work in terms of your income? So we when we started doing this, we did a universal pay what you can model, which meant that every show had pay what you can for every single performance, which is which is the, the purest in me feels is the ideal. Um, I think we were averaging, I mean, tickets at BC have never historically been that expensive, but you, you could say on average, I think we're earning four or five pounds less than we would have done had we been selling tickets. But then it's hard to tell because obviously you presumably have more visitors as well because people wouldn't have been able to afford sure, a coming. Yeah. So, but I think on average, it was costing us money to run the pay what you can scheme. I think that's fair to say, but we're seeing a real uptick, particularly in younger audiences. 
and different audiences that were attending. We've tweaked the system a little bit. So now they're always pay what you can tickets available, but they're kind of spread across and there's some performances that have normal ticketed pricing. And also it, there's a very boring, but these practical things matter on the website, how you can choose prices has changed a little bit. So anyone can get a ticket still for wherever price, but there's sort of different things to do. And we've seen a big uptick in terms of the total income that we're yielding, but still we can see that people who can't afford it are able to book lower Great, prices. Okay. So I guess we're refining the system as we go through and now I think it's possibly break even for us, which is right, obviously a great brilliant. outcome. Wow. Well that's really good. And and having eighty percent uh, audience numbers is is amazing. <laughs> and obviously that's the goal. So whatever you're doing seems to be working somehow. Okay. And now to the third and most important apex of our golden triangle. Because, uh, of course, without them, we are nothing. Uh, artists and freelancers, you're passionate about and committed to the support of artists. And obviously it's in the DNA of Battersea. Uh, what changes are you hoping to see there or what changes are you busy enacting in terms of how you support artists and how you help them make great work? Well, I mean, there's some basics, I think, which is goes back to pay and remuneration. And I think, as I was saying, there are some moves that are happening, but I think we need to keep pushing on that, particularly in an environment of very high inflation and also potentially less subsidy coming into all the venues across the board. M moves um, I, like I, what? What do you mean? Sorry. So increasing increasing how much we pay for freelancer fees. And, okay, and just, yeah. So on. yeah. Just yeah. the daily, just the basic daily rates. I think there's a lot that we could do, which we aren't doing currently around benefits for freelancers. So one of the challenges obviously is that unlike staff, they're obviously spread across numbers of organizations. As I was saying previously about collaborating, mm -hmm. I wish we could come up with a system where, for example, um, if you were a producer, these are the venues that are in, that are here to support you. We could offer training or different kinds of support. If you're a director, I often thought we could come up with something like that that could be more supportive. I think there are other things we can and should be doing. And I know lots of venues are doing this now, which is providing free space, providing kind of warm spaces to work or desk mm. space to, to freelancers makes a big difference. Um, I also think just the way we enable freelancers to make work as we were saying earlier, they need more time, more ability to kind of R&D, maybe make less work, but make it over a longer period so it has a longer life going forward. Um, so there's something structural in how we kind of fund artists. But there are bits I can't get my head around how we solve that are really challenging because I, I feel, unfortunately, it needs something outside the remit of what we can control to do that. I mean, this the sort of precarity of a career where you get a job and you get a certain amount of money and then you can have a long period without earning income is really destabilizing mm. and you know I, I i've often advocated that you know i would certainly take more money away from elsewhere if necessary to do this but have um some sort of portfolio of artists where people are given guaranteed funding for two or three years obviously that means some people will be left out of that process but at least it guarantees that some people can sort of create a kind of a sustainable living when they need to so that that feels to me a very thorny problem the other bit that feels very icky to me still, and I wish we could find a way of solving it, is there is still this power imbalance between someone like BAC that is a programmer and the freelancers who are pitching work. Which I, I mean, it, it still feels like a very icky conversation. We have a limited amount of money. We need to program a certain amount of work. Obviously, we're mindful of all sorts of things like the diversity of our program, the audiences that we're reaching, etc. So we have to make complex decisions. But ultimately, we are the ones making the decisions. It doesn't matter what you do with your governance system, who's doing it. You are the gatekeepers. You're the gatekeeper. And I can't, I wish I could, again, Lou, have you got any suggestions about how we start to dismantle some of that? No, <laughs> that's a real question. No, I haven't. Um, but I think, I think that what, that, 
Yeah, I mean, in my work, I am aware of gatekeepers, and sometimes I find that gatekeepers uh, pretend they're not gatekeepers, <laughs> but they are. Um, but you are, you do listen to artists, and you do pr 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 provide and create frameworks for a more honest dialogue, so that the you know the, the status or the difference between you is lessened, I guess. Um, but yeah, no, you still have to make the decisions, and the decisions will always involve no <laughs> to, to lots of people, won't it? Um, but I guess it's about listening, isn't it? That's what you're doing and and making sure that your programme is, as, as, yeah, as you say, as diverse and exciting as it can be. Um, do you find that artists are, well, are, you know, that there, that there is a healthy growing situation there in terms of people being able to come to you and say, right, how can you help me? Do, do, are people less fearful than they might have been in the past of approaching you? I do think that. I think it's really good, and I think, um, in a way, in a weird way, it's always really nice when someone goes, "Help! I really need some help," because oh, yeah. it can make you feel useful as well. And usually, particularly at BC, we always have space. We sometimes have other types of resources, and we can support people. So, yeah, I think that dialogue feels quite good. However, again, I also feel, I, I often feel that even it has to be the confident ones who feel able to ask for help when they kind of need it, or. I think freelancers often understandably feel really anxious about burning bridges. You know, that if, if we ask for this one thing or if we say we're going to change direction or if we don't get through this hurdle, this will be it forever. I mean, in practice, it never really works like that, but I can understand that anxiety. And um, I think we do, have, we do have a stress problem for freelancers and artists at the moment, obviously made much worse by the pandemic and the financial challenges, but there is a kind of mental health care thing that we need to think about collectively and i guess mm. i guess i guess i'm saying it because obviously things we do as venues exacerbates that um even if it's as simple as not paying people on time or making people jump through hoops or not responding to emails which i'm really guilty of myself mm. you know it's that kind of stuff that just makes everything worse yeah i guess um some companies that i'm working with are now working with a psychotherapist or a counselor um would you consider would you, can you imagine a world where bac has one and the artists are able to access that we do we actually have an organizational coach that's been at bac for many many years and we is make, that for the staff though or for the, the staff artists? but we make services available when we're working with artists okay, when they're with us amazing. so i guess it's not open it's not open to everyone no, sure. um, you can't have everyone in, in london <laughs> yeah. yeah you're right but that's different from sort of counseling services which i think again is something we could and should think about but it goes back to my earlier point if if we were saying, okay, this group of venues are able are focused on supporting this this cohort of people, it becomes much easier to provide training support, mental health support, counselling support than it does when it's one individual organisation trying to, especially BC is not that big, trying to kind of link with with loads of different offers. So you mean you could share exactly. a, a person or or <laughs> system across venues? Yeah, brilliant. Okay, much more efficient. You know? Yeah. And just to be clear about that, how does it work for an artist that wants to approach you, uh, you know, and your team with an idea? What what should they do? So they usually, I mean, everything goes through our producing team. So we have an email producing at bac.org.uk and everything, every email that there does get looked at, gets sifted and reviewed. And if we can help or support or it's something we want to review, we, we, we always respond to everyone within, I think it's within a week now. Um, Great. And and things that we can do, we kind of we will do. Again, there's lots of situations where you go, I'm afraid this isn't something we can help with, but we do try. Sure, but as you say, getting the answer is actually really important to people, so they're not left hanging. Um, and and that's about space. It's about um, programming. It could be all sorts of things: space programming. Sometimes people. I mean, just the other day, we supported some artists. They just needed a room to do some filming for a project that they've got some funding for. All sorts of little things we mm. could do. Sometimes we need some desk space for a couple of days. Um, 
yeah, we, we kind of try to be as flexible as possible. You have an, a shared office space, do you still? We do. We have a co-working space down at the area, which again we 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 give to artists when they're kind of working with us. It's a sort of it's a it's a private enterprise, so it's really about desk hire, which we use the profits to generate back okay. into the yard. But it's a good facility that we can use to kind of make it's an extra perk that we can offer. And presumably, it's a, it's more affordable than a commercial. For uh, sure. Similar thing. Okay. Let's say for the artists that we work with, it's free, obviously, that they, they can I just see. use okay. the place okay. while they're working with us. Okay, so. for, for the duration of the time that they're working yeah. with you. Um, and what are you looking for then in terms of collaborations and programming and partnerships? What are you looking for in terms of uh, form or content? You know, what's on your programming brief? I mean, I. I think at BAC we always get excited by something. Well, there's a couple of things. I guess we think of ourselves as home for radical ideas, and radical is obviously a big word, but I think either we're looking for things that are completely disruptive in terms of form. I think we're always really interested in hybrid work, whether it's a combination of different art forms or technologies or so on. Um, but also the other the other aspect is what's going to co-created work is obviously a big part of our work. But what is going to have a massive social impact? Again, going back to the point, we don't believe in art for art's sake. What is really going to push the needle in terms of social commentary. And that could work in many different ways. Sometimes it's about who's presenting the work, it's sometimes underrepresented, or it's about the content. So I guess I guess we like to take risks is the truth. If it, mm. if it feels safe, that's probably not for us. Um, we just kind of want to try something. It's okay if things don't work, but we really, we don't shy away from, I was going to say controversy, but that's not the right word. We don't shy away from, from, from something that feels passionate and authentic. Yeah, okay. Um, and just on that note, um, what's the approach to failure? So if you're taking risks and something doesn't quite work in a public uh, environment, you know, I'm sure, uh, like me, you know of people who have um, made work that has not succeeded and have uh, been ditched by funders, venues, etc. How how do, do you and your team try to support artists through, you know, both, both uh, eventualities of taking risks? Yeah, I mean, the first, I think the first thing is to really care and support and show love for the art. I mean, always stand by the work, always stand by the artist, regardless of what happens. Right, stand I think, by the endeavour. Yeah, exactly. And sort of really, I think we do a lot of work in those. It doesn't happen very often when it does happen to really show that support publicly as well as privately and really look out for, you know, usually at that point, there's a lot of stress and anxiety kind of mm. happening and kind of work through. Some of it is about long term support. So giving people that chance to come and workshop something new and so they feel they haven't hit the end of the road. And you do that. Uh, you, you, you do offer that to people. Yeah. Yeah, again, it's all very individualized, obviously, but our relationships with artists kind of go on for years. So I yeah. think, you know, it's not it's not usually a venue that just programs someone and then we don't have any dialogue with them before uh, before or after. Mm. But the other thing as well is I think it's because we genuinely like if we do a show that is struggling for everybody, and let's say ticket sales are extremely low. We don't in the team ever reflect and say, oh, we that was a terrible disaster. What do we do again? It's the opposite. It's going, OK, we went for it. What do we learn? Did we? what what happens and I think that culture then translates to the artist because they don't get the sense from us that we are upset or disappointed mm -hmm. our work. but it is hard I mean we've all made work that kind of hasn't landed um but you just I think the best thing is to give people an opportunity to get back on the horse when they're ready yeah when they're ready in, in a supported environment because you know because we know that's how it goes when taking risks and can you give us some examples of some of the exciting work you've got coming up well, I think I think our autumn season is cracking personally. So just to plug it for a second, I mean, we've got, uh, again, got a lot of international work, which has been a focus of BAC at the moment. So we've got Florentina Holzinger as one of Europe's top, top directors who's bringing TANS mm. um, 
for three nights. The part, I just want to say a lot of part of the reason we brought that is I really want UK artists to see what some of the Europe's top artists do because you get so few opportunities to travel. So yeah. pay what you can, come along and see what um, some of those theatre makers are doing. Um, you have Hoffa Schechter bringing a big dance piece. We've got back-to-back theatre who have been trying to bring to BAC for years, mm. bringing The Shadow from Australia. And then we've got some of our, you know, UK-based artists that we're really excited about, Javad Alipur and Demi Nandra presenting work in the programme. So, yeah, it's a really good mix, I think, of those big flagships and then the kind of um, smaller scale but really fantastic work as well. Exciting. You used to make work. Do you plan to make any more? Do you know, I really miss it. I, I would love to. I just can't. <laughs> I just kidding. can't see. There's two There's two aspects to this. One, Well, three. If I'm going to be really honest, um, well, A, there's not enough time. Mm, B, sure. I think I've lost a bit of confidence now because it's so long since I've done it. So I'm just being really open about that. Um, but thirdly, also, I think there's something philosophical is I would never direct. I, well, I'll never say never, but I don't think I would direct something at BAC because I think it's important that it's a place to support others. Um, and I think I'm not a huge fan of the model where the AD dominates the program mm. within a venue. I think that sends the wrong signal. So uh, I, th- I kind of want to role model that this is about supporting others rather than my own practice. Nice. But maybe that's just a cover for lacking confidence. Yeah, <laughs> you're just terrified. You're not prepared yeah. to take the risk. I get it. Exactly. <laughs> um, but so maybe later, maybe further down the line, Definitely. when you when your ten yeah. years are up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, um, one last question. So I hear you got married recently in a very nice venue, uh, namely Battersea Arts Centre. Congratulations. Uh, oh. And how was it? How amazing was that? Do you know, it was just, it was a beautiful, beautiful event. I mean, me and my partner have been together 13 years, so it was, it was, it was just nice to kind of have a party. I think BAC really looked after us. It felt like a very family affair. It was very informal. Um, a friend of mine who's a Syrian actor married us. Um, and it was just great. And I do, I do, it's a very special day, obviously, but to get married in somewhere, in a place you also really love. We met, even though my partner works in health, we met in a theatre, so doing it in a theatre felt very special to us. Gorgeous. Well, congratulations. And what a good advert, because I know it's available for weddings, isn't it? Brilliant. All right. Um, listen, thank you so much for your time today and thank you for working so generously and tirelessly to try to make change across the sector as well as at uh, BAC. It's fascinating to hear about all your ideas. I can't wait to see them all, um, you know, find their place in the world. Thank you, Tarek. Thank you. Lovely to chat to you. Well, that's it for this episode of Downtime. I hope you enjoyed it. Do listen to the other episodes of both seasons one and two with lots of brilliant artists and arts leaders. And for more information about me, my work, the courses I run and the artists and organisations I work with all through COAD, the Centre of Applied Dramaturgy, go to www.thecoad.org. Thanks for listening. May you be lucky and well enough to have a little inspired downtime of your own.